the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Daisy, how, how have you been doing with, uh, with the, the coronavirus? How, how's the organisation been, uh, been handling it? Um, well, we made the decision not to furlough um, myself. And um, so I, I basically continued to work, uh, but from home, uh, which mm-hmm. was itself a challenge because I've got two small children. So it was a case of getting work in where I could. But okay. it also, it gave us a little bit of breathing space. Um, we weren't allowed to do any work out, out and about and we couldn't work with volunteers. So what we did instead was try to focus on what the charity um, does well and what maybe we could improve in the future and uh, really start to think about building a business plan for the charity. And actually, we found that that's been really useful. Good. Good. Can I ask, Daisy, can you give us an overview of what the, the East Ayrshire Coalfields Group does um, and, and how you're structured and, and, and where uh, within, within East Ayrshire you, you're working? Yeah, sure. Um, so we, our full name is the East Ayrshire Coalfields Environment Initiative. It's a bit of a mouthful, so we tend to call ourselves the CEI. And we're a small charity and we work in East Ayrshire. We tend to work in the south of East Ayrshire in the area most heavily affected by mining, particularly surface mining. Um, And we actually work in partnership with other organizations, although we are a separate entity in ourselves. Um, We tend to work with local people, with landowners, and with other groups um, to bring about environmental benefits in the local area. And we were established um, basically because of um, the environmental damage that had come about through the kind of surface mining in the area and as well as that the kind of decline in the kind of uh, populations of social deprivation that had resulted uh, from that industry going into decline as well so that we're kind of passionate about people and their connection to nature and we felt like that was under threat because of some of the social issues. So what what kind of projects has the, the group previously worked on? So we've, we've actually been in, involved in a range of projects since the sort of early noughties. Um, I actually really hate that word. <laughs> since around 2005, we've, we've been running projects. And um, we've had quite small kind of discrete projects like building a boardwalk and a dipping platform at, at Hennison Community Woodlands. We created a community wildlife garden in New Cumnock and uh, upgraded a kind of local walking access in the area. And we've also been involved more recently in larger kind of landscape scale uh, environmental projects and working with a a range of different partners. Good, good. And uh, we're here today to to discuss um, peatlands and and peatland protection uh, and and enhancement. I think the the majority of our listeners will understand that that peatland is an important habitat and that, that Scotland uniquely has has um, a, a tremendously large reserve of, of peatland when you look at uh, both the in terms of the UK but also the the EU can you just um lay out for us why peatlands are important well um I, I mean, I suppose everyone will be aware of just how soggy and boggy and wonderful Scotland is. Um, and, and really, some of the, the peatlands in Scotland are unrivaled in, in the world. 
Uh, we have some of the most important areas of blanket fog. We have some of the deepest fogs in the world. Um, in fact, recently we recorded a, um, a peak depth um, of over 12.2 metres uh, in a site which, which is quite close to Cumnock. And um, so it's really quite amazing the kind of um, resource uh, that we have in Scotland. And I think I use the word resource quite um, kind of in a relaxed way. I don't mean as in we can quantify it and, and I don't know, add it to our <laughs> I don't know, economic assessment of the, of the country. But I just mean that it's, it's incredibly rich and it's incredibly important for wildlife, for the environment. It's also an amazing carbon store, which I'm sure many of the listeners will be aware of already. And um, of course, this is uh, in part due to our um, very unique climate, being very cold, very wet, and of course, the underlying geology as well, where the, where the peatland has formed. Um, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a, 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 a pretty impressive peat depth there. What, mm. what is the kind of average peat depth, if you were to, to take a guess, across Scotland? It really, it really varies quite a lot um, in the different areas of Scotland, but also kind of on a site-by-site -site basis and within sites as well. Um, it's kind of linked uh, in part due to, uh, to, to the um, kind of uh, retreat in, in glaciers after the last ice age. So to the, towards the south of Scotland, you get really, really deep um, raised bogs where peat is kind of forming in a, in a depression within the landscape. And, uh, and that's basically because it's been forming for, for longer, I think. And, um, and, and in these kind of raised peat bogs, the peat kind of forms up to level with the landscape and it just keeps on going. So it becomes a kind of raised dome as well. So that's mm -hmm. where you get your really, really deep deposits. Good, good. And you mentioned climate change there. Um, obviously, climate change has been, been climbing up the agricultural agenda uh, as well as the political agenda. Are you quite happy with the, the provisions that are there to, uh, in terms of rural policy to, to meet climate change? Or, or do you have any thoughts on that? I am actually quite um, impressed with uh, the kind of proactive approach um, by the Scottish Government and the kind of, uh, kind of ambitious targets for uh, restoring peatlands in, in, as part of our kind of fight against climate change. So. I would really, really like to see that continue and to, to be increased and for there to be more support for landowners to get involved in, in that work um, collectively. Um, it's, yeah, for me, it's incredibly important and not only because of um, the benefits to the climate, but also because there are other huge benefits that can be derived from peatland restoration as well. And these can be economic, they can be to wildlife, they can be to people. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, there's, a, there's a whole host of kind of win-wins from getting involved in work like this. We, we know that, um, or, or we, we speculate that uh, provision of public good is going to be um, a bit of a priority for, for Scottish government in terms of developing a new rural policy going forward, mm -hmm. um, post-Brexit, but, but now also post-COVID. Um, can, can you explain a little bit of... Uh, of the additional benefits to, to your peatland projects that, that you've been working on in terms of how they impact local communities? Yes, yeah, sure. So some of them are really quite obvious, like um, 
and easily easy to kind of quantify. So one of those would be uh, the importance of healthy peatlands in, in kind of having a, a healthy water catchment. So a degraded peat bog um, releases stored carbon into the, the water supply um, and into the atmosphere. And, and that is actually can be quite um, a challenging problem to deal with in terms of um, maintaining kind of clean and healthy water supply and also can be quite expensive to fix as well. So by maintaining a healthy peatland that's filtering lovely clean drinking water and isn't causing an issue um, to the catchment, that's, um, that's one of the examples of a really good benefit from um, peatland restoration. Um, and another example would be um, the, the kind of prevalence of, of local flooding and uh, the potential for peatland to form part of the mitigation against flood, flood impacts. Um, so we're not we're not sort of suggesting that by doing loads of peatland restoration there won't be any flooding, but the impacts of that flooding might be slightly lowered as a result of, of doing peatland restoration and can holding more water in these environments after a few rainfall. Perfect. Yeah. Good. Good. So, Daisy, I um I was talking to to David Eady previously in, in in one of our last podcasts. Um, David Eady is um is our woodlands consultant here for the southwest of Scotland. Okay. Um, and obviously, there's there's a bit of contention between um the requirement for for tree planting, but also maintaining of of peat. Um. Current tree planting guidelines prohibit the planting of trees in soils that uh, have more than, than 50 centimetres of peat. Do you think that, is there a conflict there between be, between tree planting and, and peatland? And, and if so, how do we get around that? I mean, I think there is a conflict if people are actively trying to plant trees on deep peat or what's classified as deep peat, as, as has happened in the past. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're planning a tree planting project and there's peatland on the site, uh, a detailed peat depth survey is, is vital to that. Um, however, I do I do believe that tree planting and, and forestry is really important um, environmentally and to the economy. Um, and we obviously need timber. And um, tree planting can also be a really valuable tool in the fight against climate change. Um, mm -hmm. And when commercial tree planting is combined with with the likes of native broadleaf planting and, and other environmental improvements, such as um, establishing scrub, meadows, or wetlands, then you can bring about huge um, benefits to wildlife as well. And, and also uh, for people, and particularly when there's increased access to the environment through, through these sort of forestry projects. So I think the important thing is that each site is kind of taken into account both at, at the kind of local level and at a landscape scale. And so when the, the impacts of tree planting or peatlands and the populations of wildlife that might be negatively impacted by tree cover in and around peatlands is taken into account. And of course, that could also mean the kind of cumulative effects across a, a larger area. So if you've got mm -hmm. lots of different tree planting projects kind of being established in an area that was once very open, and again, with, with kind of wind farms and things being created, then um, these need to be kind of considered and planned at the kind of landscape scale to avoid any, any real conflicts. I mean, there'll, there'll always be conflicts, but I think it can be done. And I was um, very inspired to, to visit Norway a few years ago. And it was nice to see um, kind of extensive um, woodlands and kind of forestry with sort of pine woodlands combined with open areas of bog, and really quite close to each other as well. 
um, where the deep peat, the wet deep peat areas were, were kept in good condition um, and were kept open in amongst kind of forested areas. And the result was that you had a kind of landscape that had lots of things going on, kind of lots of revenue streams for landowners and also real, uh, really rich in wildlife as well. Is it, um, is it the drying of the peatland by the, by the woodland that, that is the issue there, Daisy? Yes, I suppose if in a simple way, yes, it, it is. And I think particularly where you already have a site that is drained and is drying, if you then introduce trees into the mix, it can kind of exacerbate the existing issues with having a kind of drying out peatland. I think um, from my point of view, um, the focus should be on where there is deep peat to try and get that in as good condition as possible in terms of the water level being high, because a nice sort of soggy water level um, high water level and a kind of soggy bog surface is going to kind of prohibit any kind of growth of trees. You, you'll get the odd one popping up here and there, but it's not going to, you're not going to have kind of closed canopy across the peatland. Um, and so for me, doing the peatland restoration in combination with the kind of adjacent forestry going on and woodland creation, that's, that's kind of the goal. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good, good. And Daisy, this podcast will be going out to the Farm Advisory Service. Um, and obviously, uh, we will get a lot of farmers, landowners, crofters um, who are interested in, in, in listening to this and finding out how they how they protect their, the, the peatland that they may have on their farm. What, uh, what advice would you have to, to those farmers and, and landowners and crofters um, who might uh, might be listening to this? Well, I think the potential for, for landowners and farmers um, to get involved and to, to bring kind of benefits to the peatland restoration is massive. And that's actually been one of the best parts of my, my work on the projects that we've been doing with peatland restoration. Um, because uh, I see them, well, I just see them as being more successful. Uh, we kind of, we get out on the ground, we walk together and we try and figure out how best to bring about the environmental enhancements while still being able to farm and to exist on the land without driving people and, and stock out of, the, out of the land. And in return, those landowners that you've maybe helped get funding for a project, they become custodians of that work. Um, and they're, you know, they're there for the longer term. So as soon as something's not quite working or something needs to be repaired, you, know, you get that feedback very quickly. And you also learn what, you know, what does work, what doesn't work which techniques are the most effective. Um, and it's helped us to kind of develop our approach to peatland restoration. And um, each successful project then has potential to demonstrate to one of the neighbouring farms or land holdings that, you know, this can be done and it can still be, you know, a workable landscape and, and a successful business. It become, then becomes a, a, a successful advert for peatland restoration. Um, and yeah, the more that we can kind of get together and support each other in, in, in achieving these sort of projects, the better, in my mind. You, you mentioned um, uh, that some of the some of the broad benefits to to peatland restoration uh, earlier on, but um, on a, from a farm level, um, what 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 are some of the benefits that uh, that that say? Uh, a livestock farmer in southwest Scotland would would notice um, were they to to restore some of the peatland or to to take some beneficial action. 
Well, I, I always I always say, you know, an eroding bog with bare feet is absolutely useless to everyone and everything. It's it's no good. And um and and you know, farmers would tend to agree with me there as well. Uh, so even when we've got a site that we see that has vegetation cover but is maybe drained and drying, you know, it's not really protected against eroding and becoming kind of bare sort of hagged peak gullies in the future. And um, so what we what we're really trying to do is kind of stabilize that habitat and restore the function of the habitat and the ecosystem to be able to kind of keep itself wet um, and prevent it from, from declining further. And um, I think that's one of the the biggest sort of messages that I try and put across when I'm, I'm kind of first speaking to a farmer. And then mm-hmm. you know if they do have erosion on on the bog um then quite often it's a bit of a no-brainer, uh, especially mm-hmm. where they, you, you get the sort of really deep channels. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's quite a simple um, and beautiful example of, of kind of habitat restoration. I think even restoration. It's um, it's often a, a case that it's it's not particularly expensive to do something quite dramatic that has a a, a really positive impact on the on the landscape. Kind of small scale and the larger scale, and um, so an example of that would be to um, block all the sort of smaller ditches on the site and, and raise the water table kind of on the more level areas. But then, when you do have these eroded gullies, you can um, reprofile them, rest, sort of restore the vegetation so that um, the, the the gullies themselves are, are aren't too deep. Uh, you're not kind of washing peat down every time there's a heavy very rainfall that's not going into the local water supply um, and you get some feedback from farmers to say you know, they, they, they're finding fewer sheep stuck down these horrible big ditches that are kind of overgrown yeah. with, with rank heather um, which is obviously um, something that, that farmers really care about they don't want to lose their stock um, and actually even even on a kind of practical level when we do peat the restoration we're quite often creating peat dams and they become really useful um, crossing points over deep or wide ditches and um, that maybe were quite challenge, challenging to traverse otherwise. Um, and in, in most cases, we're, we're really trying to do things sensitively so that they, we're not creating massive pools of water. We're, we're kind of just um, trying to slow the water down. Uh, mm-hmm. We're kind of doing it in a way that, that means it's not going to be a, a hazard to stop or to people. Uh, into the business in the future. Good, good. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned livestock there. Where do you stand on livestock grazing? Um, obviously, the, there will be a lot of farmers out there who who worry about the utilisation of of the land. Um, how practical is livestock grazing on on peatland? I think um, peatland restoration combines really well with grazing personally and um, other people might disagree but uh, I've, I've had experience of working on a quite a large scale ditch blocking project on a blanket bog where there's been no grazing um, afterwards and you know yes we were able to go in and do some quite exciting engineering where we're holding up loads and loads of water but um, the result is that people are not wanting to put their stock out there um, at the moment anyway and, uh, and as a result, a lot of the kind of purple moor grass that we were trying to tackle 
um, that's kind of dominated the site is still there and it's becoming rank and smothering the, the, bog, the bog plants. And actually really what it needs is, is a bit of grazing by cattle in there uh, to, to try and deal with that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I fully support grazing on, on peatland restoration sites. I think, um, as I mentioned before, as long as you're, you're approaching the restoration sensitively and you're not creating massive pools of water or anything that's going to be um, kind of undone by the effect of trampling by stock, uh, then, then it can work really well. And then, of course, you've got that ongoing use of the land. Um, you've got that oversight by the farmer. And uh, yeah, and you're not excluding people and businesses from, from the landscape. How compatible would you say peatland restoration is with, with your kind of typical upland management strategies? Um, you know, your, your deer management, uh, predator control practices, for example. So I don't, I don't really see any problem with this at all. Um, so when I'm thinking about peatland restoration, I'm, I'm thinking about what, what a healthy peat bog looks like or an area of peatland. You want a wet surface, you know, you think, I'm thinking wellies and I'm thinking I'm going to see water pulling around at my feet. Um, yep. we're, not, we're, not, we're not aiming for bogs that are completely underwater or huge pools, as I mentioned before. Um, and, and again, you know, in terms of access, the, the, the peat downing can actually provide really helpful kind of crossing points. Um, the wetter conditions are, are um, fantastic for, for providing food for wildlife um, so you kind of get this, this boom of invertebrate life after you've created the kind of wetter surface. And of course, that's, um, that's good for a range of kind of um, rural land uses in terms of like um, grass and that kind of thing. Um, you know, animals are less likely to, to disappear down a, down a gully. Um, mm -hmm. Dogs probably less likely to disappear down a gully. Um, same yep. with vehicles as well. Um, and, you know, you, you get... Uh, where you've had kind of maybe a network of narrow deep ditches that are kind of concealed by vegetation, the water level there is, is raised to the surface. That's quickly going to fill in with kind of really lurid green mosses and, you know, tufty sedges and, and rushes and things. So they're actually much more visible. So um, creatures are less likely to get stuck down there. Uh, and they very, very quickly become vegetated. It's quite impressive how, how quickly it, it happens after a few years. You know, they, they really start to blend in with the surrounding landscape. Um, mm -hmm. So I think for this reason, we've had really like uh, really good um, positive feedback so far. And I've even heard things like um, the foxes dislike traveling in the really waterlogged areas. So yep. around the ditches and I quite often see evidence of where kind of um, game birds have been kind of nest, nesting up just um, just next to a ditch. And perhaps they realize this themselves. I don't know. Um, but it's really interesting to me um, to see this. So, yeah, I'm, happy to, I'm really interested to kind of hear what, what people's experiences of this have been. Good, good. And as, as part of your, your peatland uh, restoration and, and, and protection projects, have you had any involvement within the, 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 the confines of the, the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme? Do you have any involvement with, with EECS at all? Yes, so we've had quite a lot of involvement with it in the past. And um, we found this really, really good way of working, which involved kind of teaming up with an um, kind of agri-environment agent who was um, really clued up on, on the scheme and how to apply for the funding. And, um, and we obviously were having the experience of, of um, having some kind of restoration work under our belts. 
so we kind of got together and actually walked the land with the farmer and advised on um, what we could do. So in terms of the potential to restore the habitat and what could be funded through APEs. Um, and then but if there was any other work that wasn't fundable through EATS, we were able to then um, help them access additional funding to kind of complement the work that was funded through EATS, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. But we kind of blended the funding to, to kind of do as much as we could, basically, to, to improve the peatland on the site. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's actually been, we've had a positive experience from that side of things. Um, it would be it would be good to see a bit more flexibility and a kind of simple, simpler kind of application process for, for applying for EECS um, or a similar scheme in the future. And um, I think that that's, that's always seemed to be a bit of a barrier for people getting involved. It was a bit of a minefield. And this was kind of our way of tackling that by bringing yep. different parties together and kind of working through the, the various sort of issues and topics surrounding the peatland restoration project. I know that there's a lot of discussion at the moment about uh, outcomes-based um, environmental schemes going forward um, and uh, kind of a, almost a, a reverse of the, the application process and, and the scheme process of, of EECS. Um, uh, but I, I totally I sympathise with what you're saying. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm not an EECS specialist by, by any stretch of the imagination, but I have put in a number of applications um, and uh, it is a, a lengthy application process um, which can end up with, uh, with the farmer or, or, or landowner undertaking the EECS contract, but almost losing that support network once they're in the scheme. Um, so it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting time to, to, to see what Scottish government come out with next. Oh, I think um, like ongoing funding for kind of monitoring and maintenance of the work is so essential because I agree with you, we've, we've, we've helped with projects where they've been successfully kind of funded by AICS, but then what, you know, I, I, I really do feel like that is, um, that's very true. Um, and I, I, I I don't think it should be a, a huge stretch to be able to improve on that. Mm -hmm. My um, my impression of uh, of Eeks uh, and in particular the the kind of upland moorland management options and supporting capital options um, has always been that they were almost entirely a, a separate application in themselves. You you could end up getting very specialist, particularly with options like um, ditch blocking or peatland management or, or deer management plans. Um, so yeah, the, the, there's a lot there that um, on the surface level with something like EECS, you might not initially think about. I think, yeah, the, the, the kind of need to be able to sort of blend different management um, practices across you know land and to be able to finance them them ind not independently but yeah so one shouldn't exclude the other if that makes sense because that's mm -hmm. not really how a kind of rural business works i think uh, some of the most successful examples of kind of rural businesses is where you've got a diverse range of things going on and lots of different benefits that you're bringing uh, along with that for sure yeah in terms of where we go moving forward, um, obviously we we have this this green recovery plan, and the potential for a new Scottish rural development plan. Um, moving forward, what what steps would you like to see 
um, implemented into this policy for peatland restoration? So uh, it's been really good to see financial support um, in Scotland for landowners to undertake peatland restoration um, recently. I think that should remain a priority um, and, you know, and to be done much more of, of course, I'm going to say that because it's something that I'm really passionate about. But I think um, it should be a focus and a priority. And along with this, uh, financial support for projects, and I mean, when I say projects, I mean not us, but anyone doing peatland restoration, um, for them to kind of monitor and maintain the work, that should be made available. Um, and also um, something that really kind of bothers me is that sort of scientific monitoring of all these projects that are going ahead really quite rapidly all at the same time, that that should be coordinated and should, the impetus shouldn't be on the project itself to do the monitoring. It's, it's, it's too hard, it's not practical and it's not particularly worthwhile. And, and the quality of the data is, it's kind of, it's all over the place. So um, really for somebody centrally to be kind of coordinating that monitoring and taking that pressure off the project, I think that would be really good because the benefits that we see from peatland restoration, some of those can be detected very early on. So you can you can visibly see water sample rising as you're doing peatland restoration work and you can um, you can detect the, the kind of knock-on benefits to the, the river catchment, that's fine. There's also going to be much longer term benefits to the environment and to, to nature and to wildlife. So thinking 50 or 100 year timescales. So it's it's less, you know, it's less easy to kind of detect these changes and communicate them to the public if those those monitoring programs aren't being coordinated in a better way. Um, yeah, so I guess in a nutshell, I would say incentives and support to landowners for the projects and then financial support to perhaps the conservation sector and working with private landowners to maximise the benefits to wildlife through getting involved in these monitoring schemes. Daisy, is there anything happening within the industry right now that you think more people should be paying attention to? Anything in, in, in terms of, of peatland restoration um, or uh, if you know that there's another group out there in Scotland that's doing something uh, particularly innovative, um, something that we, we should all um, give a second look to? Yeah, so the thing I'm getting most excited about at the moment is the, the possibility of, of securing financial um, investment from private companies. Um, so this is basically corporations or uh, businesses paying towards kind of nature-based solutions to environmental issues, mm -hmm. uh, including mm -hmm. kind of biodiversity loss, climate change or um, pollution and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm starting to become more and more aware of funding streams where private investors are contributing to a fund that's available to projects to tackle these issues. Mm -hmm. um, so these might be carbon offsetting obligations. There might be businesses operating in a landscape that are relying on things like clean water or flood mitigation or pollination by invertebrates. Um, so basically they are paying into a scheme which is then funding kind of um, large scale um, environmental projects, conservation work. Um, and then the kind of impact of this is that these are going to help them meet their business outcomes. And um, so I'm thinking like farming, food production, tourism, there are lots of different examples um, and I, I know of a few projects that are kind of um, being established uh, that are trying to get this sort of scheme off the ground. And it's, I think it sounds like it's going to be a much more sort of flexible finance model um, where you can have lots of different kind of um, income streams that are kind of blended, blended finance, if that makes sense. Um, 
Another example is, is um, <coughs> excuse me. Another example is uh, funding through the likes of the kind of Woodland Carbon Code or the Peatland Code. So again, it's um, private corporations and they're investing voluntarily into these schemes, which are kind of um, nature-based solutions for tackling the climate emergency and to, to cut emissions. Um, so these funds, I think they're going to be really important, especially as, as government funding continues to be squeezed. Um, and, you know, everything that we do and every business, um, it, it comes across to the environment. So I think even though it might seem a little bit daunting um, accepting funding from um, potentially a, a big business that's causing a lot of environmental harm, I think it's really important and it's a right, the kind of right step in the right direction for private companies to be kind of doing their bit. That's, that's my opinion anyway. I did notice um, just this morning that uh, companies like uh, like Google and and Facebook had announced plans to um, achieve a, a, a carbon neutral uh, basis for 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 their business. So, um, like you say, yeah, I I don't know any of the details of how they intend to, to achieve that, but um, it, it it is good to see these big companies taking taking steps to to achieve that. I think, yes, I agree. And um, peatland restoration and tree planting are both really good examples of where there's plenty of um, research been done in the past that shows that, you know, if you do re-wet these sites or you do plant these trees, that you're going to have kind of, um, you know, you're going to be limiting the amount of carbon and greenhouse gas emissions that are being released and it's going to help kind of contribute to kind of um, our national targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a really easy way for companies to to sort of show how they're offsetting their activities. So Daisy, you mentioned the the importance of keeping peatland wet. Is there a risk uh, from a climate stance that uh, we increase methane production by having anaerobic conditions in peatlands? Yes, I think it it, it can be an issue. Um, and it's something that I'm aware of and slightly wary of as well. Uh, I think if you look at the kind of overall balance um, through time, as the peatland starts to recover, I think it's actually fine. <laughs> that doesn't sound very scientific, um, but kind of off the top of my head, having looked at, at various studies, you can get this initial kind of um, kind of net release of, of methane um, because you get a lot of things coming up such as sedges that maybe aren't quite as um, uh, effective as, as um, kind of taking in and storing carbon as, as the sort of bog mosses that you want to see on the site. But as that site um, begins to stabilise in terms of its hydrology, you're going to get more and more um, sphagnum moss uh, taking over and, and, and then it begins its journey to become um, an active carbon sink. Good, good. Um, and um, w- you touched on the, the East Ayrshire Coalfields Initiative. Um, how many people are, are working within your group, Daisy? So we're really small. And when I say small organisation, up until um, about a week ago, it was just me. Um, okay. And I like to think we're with punch above our weight. But we've, we're now sort of about one and a half staff if that makes sense we've got a part-time project officer working with us now called Emily who's wonderful and she's going to be doing a lot more work with people and communities in the area and so that frees me up to do much more of the 
um, speaking to landowners and farmers and, and getting them interested in peatland restoration and preparing plans for future projects. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but yeah, we're really small and uh, we're unlikely to grow significantly in the near, near future. Um, but I feel like we've, we've still managed to deliver quite exciting projects. And part of that is, is because of the partnership working that we do. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. And what what has the reaction been from from farmers and landowners that that you've been working with in the local area? I'm always kind of nervous to meet a new farmer or a landowner and speak to them about peatland restoration. You kind of hear stories of, of people being chased off the land and that kind of thing. <laughs> and I really I haven't had any negative experiences at all. I think I've been quite lucky um, in some respects because. The people in the area uh, and and I tend to get on really well with them and um, and for me I don't like to to rush in like a bull in a china shop I like to listen to people's concerns their ideas their experiences of of, of the, the, the farming of the land because really I'm clueless I'm coming into somebody else's farm and, and kind of I really shouldn't be telling them what to do I should be listening to them and learning about you know what's working for them and what isn't um, and I think from there we build the relationship and that's what's um, helped it be successful. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would love to be able to kind of share my experiences as much as possible with other people working in similar projects because that is one of the things I've been quite proud of is, is the way that we've um, built relationships with local farmers. Do you think farmers in the area are more receptive to, to the issues of climate change and, and are prepared to have that conversation? It's, um, it's difficult to know for sure. I think if anyone's going to be seeing the, the effects of climate change, it's going to be people that are working outdoors and, and you know, for a long period of time noticing changes in weather, changes in climate and, and the effect that that's having on the land. So I think people in the farming and the rural industries are aware of, of, of what's happening in, in reality, and that really helps. Um, but I think because peatland restoration does bring about those other benefits um, in terms of uh, slowing water runoff into rivers, improving water quality, um, stabilizing areas of bare vegetation, um, you know, in, increasing biodiversity, I think those are almost enough in themselves sometimes uh, to warrant having a project. So whether or not they're totally bought into the idea of fighting climate change, it doesn't always feel that pertinent. And I think the fact that there is, you know, subsidies out there to to tackle climate change is just helping <laughs> bring those projects into into reality. Um, so yeah, I mean I might be totally off off the mark with that, but I'm really happy to for somebody to put me straight. <laughs> No, no, no. I think I think I think you're grand. Uh, I uh, so I work with with a number of, of clients across Ayrshire and Arran, um, and uh, like I say, I was quite heavily involved in the the development of X plans uh, for for a number of clients. It strikes me that that peatland, the 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 idea of peatland is that it is a, a kind of desolate, wet messy part of your farm um 
And what, what I've actually found with the peatland that I've seen here in Ayrshire is that there is tremendous potential there for um, species like your ground nesting wading birds, um, benefits for, for hen harriers, um, and uh, and provision of, of plant vegetation for, for, for pollinators. So I, I do think that... Uh, that moving forward, there's there's certainly areas for for development within within peatland. Yes, um, totally agree with you there. And I think people even sometimes describe bogs as not being particularly biodiverse because of the sort of narrow range of species that mm -hmm. like thrive in those habitats. But certainly in East Ayrshire and many parts of Scotland, that's where the really iconic wildlife likes to live and <laughs> um, yep, yep. you know from i don't know a, you know beautiful wee golden ring dragonfly up to a golden eagle you know you're gonna th those are really important landscapes and habitats for wildlife so um yes i think the the importance of biodiversity cannot be overstated um, in scotland i think that they're so vital um and if if you know if the, if the farming business is benefiting from that in some way then all the better and uh, are there any other areas of, of conservation in which you, you have projects currently running? Yeah, we have a really exciting new project, which is completely new to us. Um, but we're very lucky in that we've worked with um, people that are very experienced in it. Uh, so we're doing a project called um, Coalfields for Pollinators. And it's all about establishing large areas of um, wildflower-rich habitat for our pollinating insects, which are in decline. Um, we've, we've actually lost around 97% of our uh, wildflower-rich meadows in the UK um, in the last sort of 50 years or so. So this is a really important project to provide vital habitat uh, to pollinators. And it's really nice because we can actually work with local communities, schools, volunteer groups to create meadows, to pop, uh, plant native bulbs, and to plant fruit trees in and around communities. So it's really linking people in with the, the wider landscape. And, um, and in that sense, I feel like it's going to be quite a popular project and one that's going to provide a lot of color and interest and wildlife um, to the local area. Definitely, no, it sounds really good. On that note, Daisy, are there um, species that uh, that are present on peatlands that, that can be particularly useful for, for pollinating species? Um, do you mean plants? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Um, well, I think the one that will spring to everyone's mind is heather. And obviously heather is a, a lovely and natural component of any bog. And, uh, and we've got species such as the cross-leaf heath and, and the ling heather as well, the Kaluna vulgaris heather. And that's a really important food source for our bumblebees. Mm -hmm. um, we've also got lots of plants that are important to pollinating insects, such as um, the hare's tail cotton grass, which is the food plant um, for the caterpillar of the large heath butterfly, which is a wonderful butterfly that lives on, on peat bogs with, with there's deep peat. Um, and yes, I think uh, the, the, actual, the extent of the peatland and the, the cover of flowering plants across that peatland is a really important resource to, to pollinating insects, which are in turn really important in pollinating our crops and the plants in our gardens and, and in the wider landscape. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Do you want to, to, to give us um, some of your, your, uh, your final thoughts 
uh, on on peatland restoration, and and why people listening to to the farm advisory service um, should uh, should take the issue of peatland restoration seriously. Um. Yeah. Sure. So I guess at the moment uh, I'm, I'm feeling extremely positive about um, the work that we're doing with, with CEI and the fact that um, despite everything that's going on. The projects, um, our project and others um, in, in Scotland are going ahead to, to restore peatlands and that there is funding still available and support available for people to get involved in this work, which I think is vital. You know, we can't, we can't uh, lose track of, of our goals to, to improve um, the environment in Scotland. And um, so for the next few years, we're going to have funding through um, a landscape partnership, which is called the Cold Gold Communities Landscape Partnership. Um, so we're going to be working with, with partners in the local area and, and through that we're going to have a few years of funding for, for more peatland restoration work. And just to give an example of the sort of things we're, we're looking at at the moment, um, in the hope that it maybe inspire somebody else to get involved as well, um, we're working on a, quite a large area of, um, of open bog, in, it's kind of near Cumnock and it's a private, privately owned area. The, the owners are really, really positive and very open-minded about what can be done to try and improve the habitat there. Um, and the the bog itself is surrounded by many, many other things going on in the landscape. We've got new forests, existing forestry, we've got um, surface mines, we've got wind farm proposals. So there's a lot of pressure on this area. So what we're really just trying to achieve is to take an area that maybe a lot of people would look at and think, it's fine, it's doing great on its own, and, uh, and really just try and build some resilience there uh, against pressures in the future, including that of climate change as well. So really hoping that the work that we do um, can, can bring about huge benefit to the, to the landscape and, and kind of secure this, this resource, this peatland resource, and the carbon that's stored within it, and the importance for the wildlife in the area, and just keep that for the future. <laughs> I'm very excited Great. to get started and to get diggers out on the site and uh, hope to have a similar project next year. Brilliant. Well, th thanks very much, Daisy. Thank um, I think uh, I think I'll, I'll I'll bring it to a close now. Um, but uh, no, thank thank you very much for your time this afternoon. It's been good to to have a word with you, um, and you. Uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Great. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is quite nice. Um,